Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is John McDonald and uh, the Assemblyman. And the Assemblyman is going to give us a uh, wrap of, of what happened in the New York State Legislature this year. So, John, was it a productive year? Well, you know, it's interesting, Cynthia. Everyone always has to define what they mean by productive. In regards to number of bills, 892 bills passed both houses, that's one of the highest in, 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 in recent history. When I say recent, like in 30 years. Um, but like anything else, it's one thing to pass bills, it's another thing to do quality, and that's always the challenge. Now, people have been saying, why, why did it get so high? We have to remember last year's um, session was really curtailed, and we really focused on never really ending session because we never did. But we ended right. up having more of a specific issue. I think people forgot, you know, the police reforms that we took into action last year and also the COVID reforms that we took into last year. And we even met at the end of the year to do some other um, extensions, particularly when it came to protecting tenants' rights. So we were kind of in survival and recovery mode last year. This year, we were able to kind of get back to normal for the most part, although what was missing, as you know, because you're a regular at the state capitol, was the, you know, regular milling around and, and, and engagement with the public at large, whether local constituents or people from around the state to advocate on the issues. So that, mm-hmm. was, that was really missing in some aspects. I will say it's interesting, you know, I have the luxury of getting to know all the members, right, because they all filter through Albany at one moment or another during the course of the weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And so being the local guy and the one who always helps somebody out with, you know, where do I go to get this, where do I go to get that, I got to know not only the new members, but I interact with a lot of the older members. And what was interesting to me is that bills that have been held up for years finally passed. You know, I speak, and once again, these are not, maybe important to your listeners, but they're, as I say with every bill, they're important to somebody at some point. There was a bill right. that Amy Pollan, who sits right in front of me, has been carrying for years, that gives optometrists the ability to have a little more expansion of agents that they can prescribe for certain conditions, which is important when you look at the fact that ophthalmologists who had that authority weren't always available in our low-income neighborhoods. And so, you know, giving optometrists that ability, uh, this has been a 20-year battle that Amy Pollan went through and it finally got passed. Dick Gottman mm-hmm. has been, for 20 years, fighting a bill that I've always supported, and I, and I feel very strong about it, which is the decriminalization of hypodermic syringes. You know, there's a day we can all recall where if you actually had a needle on you, you were assumed to be an addition, a person who was using drugs, and you would be, mm-hmm. you could be potentially be arrested. And I've been advocating for years that syringes, first of all, don't require a prescription per se. And secondly, if we really want to help people with substance abuse disorder, uh, arresting them is not going to solve the problem. And we also need to be more thoughtful in making clean syringes available to individuals. Because if Mm -hmm. we don't, the chances of them um, contracting HIV or hepatitis C, which are very 
deadly and very expensive courses of treatment could be counterproductive. So, you know, it's funny. There's some of those long station bills finally got passed. And I don't know why. I don't know if they just gave up or they just felt, well, let's, it's time. And I think it's a good thing. I think, you know, on, on the latter one, the Godfrey bill, it's it all part of the fact that we're turning the conversation of substance abuse. Instead of calling individuals addicts, they're individuals with substance abuse disease. And we're, we're trying to take away the criminal component of it and talk about the fact that it's truly a health care issue. Um, so, you know, uh, personally, you know, I passed, I was able to, I've been working on, as you know, I focus a lot on the blight that, that our urban communities struggle with. And I was able to pass two bills out of our house that directly attract, attack that issue in regards to expediting the process to get these buildings into responsible hands. Um, we also just recently approved funding to help our land banks. You know, as you know, the Times Union has been doing a very in-depth story this week, this past week, right. on, on housing and, 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 and the redlining that happened in minority communities. And I'm very proud to be a sponsor of, of the legislation that creates the funding to go to our land banks to help those individuals in minority communities buy a home. Because as Charlie Tui said in one of the articles, and it's true, yeah, okay, you're creating more low-income housing, I get it, but that doesn't really help people get to be owners. And, you know, there are some federal policies that need to be changed in regards to lending and things like that. But, you know, there's some good things that came out of not only the budget, as you know, but also the end of session. So, you know, you just talked about the syringes a couple of weeks ago, and you said you were happy about that. Now, that was an issue for a number of years, right? Oh, for, for a long period of time. Now, the fact that it's now become law, before this, was there still a... Uh, was there still a lot of HIV that was contracted because that bill was not passed? So, first of all, just to be clear, just because both houses passed it doesn't mean the governor is going to sign it. We can hope that he will do that, but it's not law as of yet. The reality okay. is HIV, HIV, because of advancements in pharmaceuticals, we've actually been working towards the cure of HIV. That still doesn't mean that people can't contract it. And, yes, as much as the conversation is focused on quelling HIV, obviously when people who are infected share needles, we are going to have new cases come on board. And, fortunately, we're able to manage their therapy early on and prevent HIV from expanding. Where we've seen the greatest risk is in regards to uh, needle sharing with hepatitis C which, as you know, can be quite deadly um, and also can be quite expensive. So, you know, I was always of the impression that, you know, legalization of the syringes is not going to lead to more drug usage, illicit drug usage. What it will do, though, is it will lead to individuals having, you know, safe use of an illegal substance, but also open up that conversation to help get them into treatment and then eventually into recovery because that's been part of the whole process, you know, and sometimes you got to take, you got to take bold steps, right? You got to take aggressive steps mm -hmm. to deal with these issues. Uh, back in the eighties when uh, people uh, 
became aware of the fact that um, they labeled HIV a gay disease, but was but was um, tainted needles uh, a cause before the eighties? Yes. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's always it's 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 always been whatever you can you know HIV is basically spread by, you know, contact of an individual, an infected individual, and some kind of bodily fluids with another individual. So whatever way it may be, whether it's through a sexual act or whether it's through exchanging of a dirty needle, it's, it's, it's possible. And that has been the case in the past. However, you know, as you know, there are a lot of individuals that were not accepting of the gay community back then. Sadly, there right. are still some that are not, still sadly today, there's some that are not accepting. But the reality is most of the public theater was focused on um, uh, the gay community, which was unfair, because I think we've made significant improvements over the last 30 years. So while we're on the subject of drugs, let me ask you how you feel about the legalization of marijuana. Well, as you know, I supported it. Um, I think it's an opportunity to reset the clock in many aspects. I've been calling it Prohibition 2.0. Um, and I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not one that is going to be running to the store when it's open to buy marijuana. It's just not my interest. However, the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is it's been being carried on in an illegal market for a long period of time, has led to a lot of anguish and pain, particularly in our minority communities, And the reality is this, individuals are going to access marijuana one way or the other. Do we want to do it the old-fashioned way, which is basically illegal and dirty and contaminated because people are lacing it with fentanyl and people are dying? Or do we want to do it in a clean way and basically, you know, have standards for the product being developed, know that when you or I walk into a store and buy a pound of marijuana today, it, we know exactly what one or two joints is going to do to have our impact. In other words, we have to have faith in the fact that people are going to be responsible. I mean, that's what our, that's what our, our, our democracy is built on. And mm-hmm. by allowing this to be sold in a standardized format, my hope is, number one, we open up business opportunities, particularly for our minority communities who have been negatively impacted by um, the whole Rockefeller drug era, as you know, Cynthia, you've been an ardent follower of that. But more importantly, um, we're going to get into safe practices. Uh, And and basically, you know, I know John McDonald can only tolerate two beers and then I'm done for the night. But I know Uh that because I know what the alcohol content is per can of beer I have. Well, let's put it in the same perspective, apply it across the same standard here with marijuana. Think in the long term, as much as the concerns um, in regards to impaired driving, I think in the long term, once people adjust, I think we're going to find out that um, we made the right decision. And I think it brings great economic opportunity. I know there are already individuals um, looking for sites not only for retail sites, which is everyone's focused on, but more importantly, the back office component, the the assemblage and the, and the light manufacturing component. And I know people 
within the capital city and beyond that are looking for locations to set up shop. First thing we need to do is get the Senate back, though, of course, as you know, and appoint a new cannabis director. Mm-hmm. John? So that's, that's all, yeah, that, no, that's all I have on marijuana. I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, we had talked about this once before, and you considered uh, pot a gateway drug. Do you still yeah. feel the you, same way? You know, you go back, that was like three or four years ago. You're absolutely right. I had concerns about it. And like many people, I kept an open mind. And I, 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 I learned and I, I, I listened and I talked to people. And, you know, I, I said, you know what, as much as I had trepidation about it, I, I changed my mind because I became more informed, which is what legislators okay. are supposed to do. That's great. That's really good. Um, so basically you think that this session was a positive, productive session? I do. I mean, the reality is, of course, you know, everyone's going to have their own vision based on what their priority was. And listen, there's bills that I was pushing for that did not get passed. So I'm disappointed. But on the other hand, I'm not going to lose sleep over it because the reality is you can't get everything you want. You need to work at it and make sure that it's perfected and that it, mm-hmm. that it meets, meets the, you know, meets the minds of others in the collective body. But I do think overall, yes, it was productive. Yes. I think we made some advancements, as you know, in the waning days, we passed less is more, which I think is important. I know that many of the people in my district were frustrated with the fact that individuals that were trying to regain their life on probation were being sent back to prison for these immaterial infractions that had nothing to do with any criminal activity, but basically their ability to make an appointment on time or to return a phone call. And the reality mm-hmm. is for individuals who are entering back into society, you know, the, the odds are against them, right? And, and they've got to work even harder. And sometimes things happen, like a child gets sick or they miss the bus or the boss asks them to stay work at late. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we felt that less is more was a step in the right direction. And as you know, Cynthia, because of some of the, the anguish going on up there, you know, more reforms to the criminal justice system have not been welcomed and actually have been the demise of the Democratic Party in other states. But we felt that this was an important aspect to push forward, and I'm hopeful that the government is going to sign that into action because if individuals are able to continue on their path to gainful, steady employment, it's only going to make them more sustainable so that way they do not have to worry about recidivism and they can move, live on their life with their family. So this coming year is going to be uh, a, a year in which – the governor will be uh, up for re-election. I think that's going to be a pretty interesting race because it doesn't look like Cuomo's going to step aside or step down. And this talk of de Blasio and those two guys really dislike one another. So it's going to be a knockout, dragout fight. What do you think? You know, it's hard to tell right now. And, um, you know, Cynthia, you've been a follower of politics for a long period of time. Um, it's hard to predict what's going to be the temperature a year from now, which is still for the election. And as you know, a day is a long time in politics. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with the governor by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think the governor knows what's going to happen to the governor at this stage. Of the right. Day. As you know, the assembly has a four-pronged aggressive uh, investigation going on on multiple different fronts. Um, and also the governor is being investigated um, by the attorney general, but also uh, the U.S. Um, US attorney. So, um, you know, a lot is going to depend on the outcomes of those investigations. So what what wasn't done this year that will be carried over into next, the next legislative session? And the most important thing, do you think at that point um, – the LOB and the Capitol will be open so people can come and, and see what's going on? Yeah, I do believe the LOB and Capitol will be open uh, sooner rather than later. And it should be, right? That's what we we, we want to happen. Um, whether there will mm-hmm. be new guidelines, I'm not really sure at this stage of the game. Um, <clears throat> there's always a lot to do. I mean, granted, financially, I think schools – Local governments, counties are in a much better position now than they were before. The state's in a better position, although in two years, that's all going to come to a screeching halt, so we need to be thoughtful about it. Um, you You know, one thing I wanted to mention also that was a great success in this past budget or past session this last week was the bill I sponsored to create a secure opioid settlement fund. We have a lot of money coming our way. Uh, from the state of New York, to the state of New York because of several settlements from the drug companies. And we want to make sure that money goes into the treatment and recovery of individuals who struggle with substance abuse disease. It's the first of its kind in the state, in, a, in the country, excuse me. And I do think that that's going to play a large role. What's going to be more important during next year, when you talk about things next year, is how do we apply it? What programs do we promote? How do we how do we help address the fact that individuals with substance abuse disease who usually have a comorbidity of some kind of mental health disorder are out in the streets and, and how do we deal with supporting them and also to minimize their interaction with law enforcement in the process? Because it's not good for the law enforcement officer and it's not usually good for the individual. So we'll be focusing on that. As you know, there is elder parole and, and, um, early release parole that has been discussed. And those bills fell a little bit short towards the end of session, as did clean slate as well, um, mostly because of technical issues. Um, and, of course, the, the granddaddy of them all single-payer. Single-payer is still a bill that a lot of people talk about and have no idea. They, they all support it. They don't understand what it means. So I think there needs to be a, a you know, from my perspective, I, I, I'm fortunate that I work in, in the healthcare arena on a regular basis, so I see the strength of it. I also see the concerns. And I think what mm-hmm. we need to do, though, is we need to shore up the, the most critical element for this to be successful is that the federal government is going to be a partner. And that commitment has not been made because anybody who thinks that is out there supporting single payer without having the federal government as a partner is basically just passing on a false pretense to anybody who wants to hear it. When you look at the fact that the current bill that's before us is looking to include a takeover of the Medicare patients and the long-term care population, we can't do that without the federal government, who usually picks up 75 cents of every dollar. And I think, to be honest with you, as I know a lot of people out there pushing it. I get it. We all want universal coverage. We all want coverage to make sure that it's affordable for those who can least afford it. 
But it's very disingenuous mm-hmm. for people to say, I'm all for single payer, who don't even know how it operates. And unfortunately, we have a lot of those individuals out there. So we need to kind of, you know, rally the troops around the federal government getting on board. And in the meantime, in the absence of that, we continue to do what we do. We expand coverage for those individuals who are least likely to afford it. We minimize co-payments, if not eliminate co-payments. And we, we do that gradually, particularly through disease states where people, we know people are going to struggle. And that's important from my perspective. In the absence okay. of a true, true federal-state partnership. Okay. But so you, you dealt with a lot of your colleagues remotely this year, right? And in person, it was, it was, it was a mix. Okay, but the uh, but the capital was closed to visitors, right? The capital was closed to visitors, correct? Okay. So now that uh, this talk of a special session, special session, do you think there's going to be one? Well, the only talk that's been of a special session to date is for the state senate, not the assembly, the senate to come back to address a couple of things. One is the enforcement, the appointment of a chief chief enforcement officer for the board of elections, state board of elections, mm-hmm. and then um, there's a issue with. Actually, excuse me, I take that back. That was resolved. I, I, I heard on that. Um, the outstanding issues, from my recollection, is the MTA in regards to bifurcating their leadership, and also there was um, a there's an issue out there where the Senate has an appointment of an individual to be the director of the Office of Cannabis Management, the marijuana program. That mm-hmm. has not been resolved yet, and I think that's critical that that could resolve sooner rather than later. So, um, session is over. Is your workload any lessened, or or will you still be really busy? Our workload remains the same. You know, instead of being in session, though, we'll be dealing with a lot of the other issues. You know, we we're, our office is very aggressive in regards to managing cases for our patients, our individuals. We still have a lot of people that are struggling with the unemployment um, portal and system. We have many tenants and landlords that we're fighting for to get resources to help reduce the the rent. And the new rent program is up and running, but it's had its challenges. And we're also working with many of our small businesses to help them have access to the small business grant program as well. So, you know, constituent relations is where really most legislators really pack their punch and prove their power. Um, so we will do a little bit more, and now that the economy is picking back up, it's even better because there's a lot more challenging situations that come up. And then, you know, it's like you bring up a good point, Cynthia, uh, because some people will say, well, have a good vacation see you next year. You know, already today one of my bills has been signed by the governor, and what we will do, I had 15 or 16 bills signed this year. Or excuse me, 15 or 16 bills that are going to the governor. So now we will be working daily on educating the governor's staff on the bills, understanding that they may not be looked at until November or December, but you need to you need to work on your bills. It's not as if just getting it passed in the legislature makes it a whole month. Um, you need to work at it and educate in, in many aspects. 
So is uh, for you and all the other um, legislators, where can they get contact information? I know there's a website, right? Yep. Just type in New York Assembly and you'll get a, you'll, you'll see the speaker's smiling face and there's a part there where you can contact your legislator and you can see them. And, you know, as I tell people, uh, you know, I do not, most legislators have two emails, one for pri- one for staff use for themselves and one for the general public, which their staff reviews. I, as you know, Cynthia, because I respond directly to you when you email me, I, re- I have, I, I look at every single email that comes through and that's right. even when we had like last week, we were averaging five to 700 emails a day. Um, I always like to know where people's concerns are and where they're coming from. Okay. I always always felt email was the best way to, for people to clearly articulate their issue. It's great to talk to people. And nine times out of 10, if I see an email, I'll call the person up and say, I just want to make sure I understand this. But sometimes it's good to lay it out in writing first. And I strongly encourage people to do that. Not that they have to, but it helps. It's better use of their time as well as ours. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this legislative session. Um, I want to mention to everybody that, uh, as as most people know, I do this as a podcast, and then it's broadcast on WCAA. Well, on July 10th, um, we're having a bottle and can drive to raise money for WCAA to keep it operate, operating smoothly. And it's going to be on the corner of Madison and Swan Street between the hours of 11 and 3. So anybody that's listening, if they have cans and bottles that they would like to donate to this station, stop by. We would love to see you. Um, thanks, John, for being on Focus on Albany. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Everybody have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.